0: Greetings to you, friends, from the airwaves, broadcasting to the nation and around the world, coming to you from Nick 1150 AM Radio. This is Blair Hebert, story creator of the Sputnik Satellite Radio Show. Today, we are looking at the birth of Nick 1150 AM Radio for the final episode of season one. When Daryl arrives in Chicago, he arranges his hotel and takes a nice nap and daydreams about having a successful meeting tomorrow with Motorola. He rises late afternoon, cleans up, puts on a fresh shirt, as he plans to attend the show that evening at the Green Mill Jazz Club to see Nick perform. After a lovely meal and fantastic performance, Daryl declines an invitation to an after-show party from Nick and heads back to his hotel for a good night's rest. Tomorrow, bright and early, he meets with Paul and Joseph Galvin, with an opportunity to present his patented components for their home entertainment line. The Galvin Manufacturing Corporation is a large factory with an impressive Art Deco entrance, and Daryl is duly impressed and excited to see what comes out of the meeting. As it turns out, both Joseph and Paul Galvin are aware of his quality components and are interested in acquiring them for use in the new home entertainment line. Daryl agrees to release his patents for a stock investment in the company, and he continues the discussion, revealing his interest in working on broadcast transmitter technology for Motorola. They like the idea, and it's decided that Daryl can sit in with the R&D group, developing any technology he is interested in. The meeting is a great success, and Daryl heads back to New Orleans via New Jersey to visit the Albrights along the way and check in on Tracy. It's early September 1939, and Germany has just invaded Poland, and a new world war has begun in Europe. Daryl is deeply affected by this, oh, dismayed baby. to hear Thomas to talk tomorrow. about how America should join the war to remove the German scum from the face of the earth. Daryl smiles weakly at the violent rhetoric and asks, Odette, how's Tracy doing? She's now five years old and should be active and chatty. She is not. He sits with her in silence and she barely acknowledges that he's even there. Daryl is saddened by this and removes himself to go and talk business with Tomas about his latest meetings with Motorola. Daryl heads back to New Orleans and lets out his cottage to Pauline at no charge in gratitude for her friendship in his time of need. He packs his customized tools and belongings and moves to Chicago for an extended stay working with the new Motorola home entertainment brand and dives into transmitter design and circuit engineering with the wireless division. As the war heats up in Europe, so does Thomas in his anti-German rhetoric that makes waves for him in Princeton, where there are mixed feelings about the Nazis among the high German population. He's unable to hide his contempt, and decides to leave New Jersey and cut ties with RCA. He contacts Darrell to see if there's any opportunities to work for Motorola. Daryl makes the arrangements possible, and the Albrights move to the Windy City. It's a cold change for Odette, who is now dealing with a highly withdrawn and troubled adolescent, two teenagers, and a moody husband fixated on war. December 7, 1941, Japan attacks Pearl Harbor and America enters the Second World War. Tomas is highly charged by this event and tells Daryl he plans to enlist to go and defend his homeland. Although Switzerland remains neutral, there were no illusions among the population and they were armed and ready for German invasion. Thomas, now an American citizen, would fight in the American forces and would visit his family while overseas. This all happened so fast in 1942 that Odette did not have time to process what was happening on a day-to-day basis. Thomas had announced that he had enlisted and would soon be shipped out for training. Daryl was beyond sad and concerned. When Tomas left for overseas, Darrell immersed himself in work and kept in contact with Odette and sent gifts of financial support each month. Odette decided to do her part to hasten the conclusion of the war and began working at the Dodge Chicago aircraft engine plant where the B-29 bomber engines were assembled. She remained there until the end of the war. Darrell had rented a nice flat in Chicago, an apartment building that looked out over Lake Michigan, He contemplated the stark contrast of his life in the trenches over 20 years ago to the present. Back in the trenches, his gaze was always aimed down in the muddy water, looking for a broken radio wire in the ditches. Now here he was, on the balcony of a luxury apartment, with a vast expanse of open water before him and a full starry sky above. His new focus was on transmitting a radio signal through the airwaves. Life had indeed changed, and for the better. Daryl re-enters his apartment, removes his clothing, and begins his evening routine of exercises. He had recently been introduced to an ancient Eastern practice, good for the mind and body, known as the Five Postures of the Tibetan Rites. Daryl practiced these daily till the end of his days. When Motorola began releasing stock in the company and gone public in 1943, Daryl becomes a multi-millionaire overnight. He maintains excellent relations with the company as a trusted advisor and remains a freelance radio technician working with the company. This allows him access to all their latest transmitter technology to work with and develop into his own project radio station. All he had to do now was find a location to launch it. He has always admired the wireless patents of Nikolai Tesla, who had recently deceased, and decided he should visit the power station worksite in Niagara Falls. He had heard a rumor that it had also been an unofficial test site for his experiments in wireless transmission. He was curious to find out. Wardenclyffe Tower, Long Island, was the home of the famous Tesla Wireless Tower, which spawned the dawn of wireless radio transmission at the turn of the century. He believed Niagara Falls may be a good central location for a transmitter pattern. In February 1944, Tracy has turned 10 years old and Daryl arrives at the Albright home for a celebration. He is disappointed to see how she is not much changed and remains silent and introverted. A few months pass, and one evening while visiting for dinner, Daryl notices Tracy's inquisitive nature and feels for the shy adolescent. He tries to connect. When he discovers her interest in science, he asks if she is interested in the magical science of radio. Her eyes meet his in a locked stare and she gives him a big smile and says yes. Thus begins the relationship Daryl was looking for with Tracy, and he would remain her mentor and her favourite uncle Daryl till the end of their days. There is a constant nagging concern in the Albright house that Tomas has not contacted them, and it's been two years since he left. Daryl finds this unusual and has a bad feeling about it. Odette is depressed and rarely does anything else but work and return home to eat and sleep. In a spontaneous decision, Daryl decides to visit Niagara Falls and invites Odette along for the trip. The teenagers are now old enough to take care of the house and Tracy mostly kept to her studies in her room. Odette is over the moon and grateful for the break. It was an extraordinarily lovely May in 1944 and Niagara Falls in bloom is beyond beautiful. Tracy falls in love with the cute little town and thoroughly enjoys the visit. It has been two years since Tomas left for overseas with no word. Odette and Daryl talk for long hours on the long train ride to Niagara Falls, and Odette sheds many tears. Daryl remains silent and listens. One day, as they were touring the falls on Maid of the Mist, Daryl and Odette, standing on the deck in the mist between the power of the falls, were in ecstasy with the experience. Daryl puts his arm around Odette to warm her up, and she falls into his arms and passionately kisses him. Daryl's not expecting this, and although extremely aroused, pulls away prematurely before the experience turns into a full expression of love. Odette immediately apologizes for the inappropriate behavior. Awkwardly, Daryl hugs her and says, It's okay, Odette. It's been a tough time, and I'm here for you. As they drift through the mist holding each other, they both quietly weep inwardly, knowing Thomas will never return. After returning to Chicago, Daryl immersed himself in work and Odette returns to the Dodge Chicago Aircraft Engine Plant. He begins immediately building a shortwave radio receiver, which he plans to give to Tracy at her school year end. He has assembled the best components available and handcrafts a highly designed cabinet that evokes both the past and the future of radio. He presents it to Tracy and helps her set it up. She is beyond happy gives Daryl a big hug. This is a massive breakthrough for their relationship and creates a memory for Daryl that will remain until his final breath on this earth. One day, Daryl gets a call from Odette that a telegram has arrived from the State Department, and she is unable to open it out of fear of the news it contains. Daryl immediately comes over and he opens it for her. It contains what they knew all along. Tomas is missing in action and his remains never recovered. Daryl spends the night sitting with Odette, then scoops her up and brings her to bed and tucks her in. He quietly leaves for his apartment to confront his own sorrow for Tomas and his deep sadness for humanity at war. Sunday, September 2nd, 1945, the War Department of the Allies have declared the defeat of Germany and the end of hostilities in Europe. Daryl comes to Odette's house and finds the curtains drawn and a deep enveloping silence hanging over the home and family. As he enters the living room, Odette is sitting with her two teenage children in silence. Tracy is in her room listening to an overseas broadcast of the BBC. The sadness is deeper than anything Daryl has ever experienced. There's no hope to be had in the changing of events. Later that week, Daryl arrives at his apartment and receives a message. Nick Nicholas will be in town next week and wants to meet. He's performing at the Green Mill on Sunday night and has reserved a table for him. He has a business plan he wants to talk to Daryl about. Daryl accepts the invitation and rings up Odette to see if she would like to join him. He encourages her to come out for a night on the town and meet Nick. She accepts it as a date. They will meet Nick later that evening after dinner and a show. It's a cool, crisp, September in Chicago, and Daryl arranges to spend the weekend with Odette. He invites her out for breakfast Saturday morning at Lou Mitchell's restaurant, and then shopping for a new dress at the tea room in the Fair department store. Odette is fitted for a new outfit, including new shoes and matching handbag, to be picked up later that day. Daryl has leased a car and driver, and they go on a limo tour of all the tourist sites. Driving down Michigan Avenue, they marvel at the architecture, Skyline of the city. They stop at local attractions like Shedd Aquarium and the Chicago Museum of Natural History before backtracking to pick up Odette's new outfit, then back home to make dinner for the children, then on to the main event. That night at the Green Mill, Daryl and Odette are ushered past the lineup to the best seat in the house. The waiter informs them that the booth where they are seated was formerly the private booth of Al Capone. But not to worry, He's not been in Chicago since going to prison in 1933. As the band kicks in, and Nick walks out on stage. Daryl has another one of his visions, which he hasn't had in a while. The golden spotlight on Nick creates a halo in Daryl's vision and he sees ribbons of light moving with the music. He accepts this as a sign that this meeting with Nick will prove to be a positive experience. Nick puts on a great show as usual and comes to the table to greet them. Odette is enamored with being given the star treatment as photographers take photos of them with Nick at their booth for the next day's entertainment section of the Chicago Tribune. At the table, Nick and Daryl enter discussions about joining forces and starting a radio station, a continuation of a conversation they had ten years prior when they first met. Nick lays out a plan of how he would arrange the FCC and business license, and would DJ daily shows with his sizable record collection and sell advertising. Daryl informs him he has scouted the best locations for a broadcast pattern that would maximize population density for coverage. He was looking at a property and a pre-existing facility in Niagara Falls, near the Canadian border. Nick and Daryl end the meeting with a solid plan and an agreement to make this work and agree to be partners. Daryl spends the night with Odette for the first time and in the morning is completely accepted by the children who knew they were now fatherless and were just happy to see their mother treated with love, respect and the caring she deserved. Daryl immediately begins a plan for the site and assembles the equipment required to mount a transmitter and map the largest radio pattern possible for a 50,000 watt radio station. He travels back to Niagara to purchase a location for the transmitter on the Fonthill Comma Delta, highest point of land in the area. He begins looking for an established building in Niagara Falls and finds, to his good fortune, a pre-existing failed radio station, which is up for sale, and he purchases the building outright. Much of the equipment needs updating and replacement, but the studios are sound and it's on the grid and can be directly connected to the transmitter site. By the summer of 1946, Nick has acquired the call letters and FCC license for the radio station. Nick, 1150 AM radio. Daryl laughs at the kitschy charm and ironic humor and loves the fact that Nick is bold enough to just do it. He takes this as a good sign and doubles his effort to have the station ready and open for the spring of 1947. Daryl and Odette fall in love that spring, but also agree that neither want to marry again. Now that the older children have their own lives, only Tracy remains in her care, and she still cannot seem to connect with her. She's grateful Daryl has made a connection with Tracy, and when he offers to buy her a home in Niagara Falls, she is beyond happy and of course accepts. Daryl and Nick promote the grand opening of Nick 1150 Radio to the surrounding community and receive a fabulous welcome and turnout for the event. Even the senior management of Motorola show up for the grand opening and become the first advertising client. It's a magical time, and Nick has invited his close friend Slim Gilliard and his quartet to play for the event, featuring Gilliard on guitar and vocals, Tiny Brown on bass, Dodo Maramosa on piano, and Zooty Singleton on drums. This lineup seals the deal with the community as Slim and company put on one of the best shows Nick has ever witnessed and was talked about for weeks after in the community. Nick 1150 Radio starts out with a bang and becomes a solid revenue generator for nearly a decade. Daryl purchases a cute two-story brownstone in town for Odette and her family and purchases his own studio apartment in walking distance from the station. His studio is situated in an old heritage building with a sizable hardwood floor space for his daily yoga practice, a vaulted loft, and windows from floor to ceiling, which he drapes with fine white linen curtains. He installs a large enamel lion-clawed bathtub near a portable linen-draped massage table where he stretches daily. He is content in midlife as he immerses himself in simple pleasures and builds his work ethic around his exercise routine and love life. Nick is a driven businessman, an entertainer, and develops a shallow persona as a radio personality. He's all about the hip jive talk and slang of the Lindy Hop generation, and shows up at all the cultural events in the surrounding communities to croon, schmooze, and sell advertising all through the early 50s. By 1955, the radio landscape is changing, and the younger generation starts rebelling against the status quo and showing little interest in events put on by Nick 1150 radio. When they do show up, it is with transistor radios turned up to full volume and not tuned to Nick 1150. As if to torment Nick, They arrive at public events put on by the station with their transistors tuned to Alan Freed's Rock and Roll Party on WINS, new syndicated rock and roll station out of New York City. Nick gets frustrated by this and feels hurt and threatened by the declining advertising revenue which has moved on to a rock and roll format. By the new year, 1957, Nick has had to take out a loan from the bank to cover a massive gambling debt and uses the station as collateral keeps everyone in the dark about this, and carries the burden like a clown suit of shame hidden in the closet. Even Daryl is caught unaware when on October 1st, 1957, Nick has no money to pay wages and faces the moment of truth he must reveal to his employees. Daryl is caught off guard and feels the sting of betrayal and walks out with the staff. He believes in Nick, but realizes he cannot just come in for the save this time with a bailout. He leaves and goes to Odette's house for solace to tune into his inner guidance to find his next course of action. He is met at the door of the brownstone by Tracy, who is unexpectedly excited about something and sits with him in the living room for a talk. What is soon to follow is a dramatic change of events and magical change of fortune and shift in the lives and times of Daryl Lang, Nick Nicholas III, Tracy Albright, and Nick, 1150 Radio. Thank you for listening. This is the end of Season 1 of the Sputnik Satellite Radio Show. We look forward to presenting you with new stories in Season 2 from Nick 1150 Radio. This is Blair Hebert signing off. Stay safe to live, love, listen. Ricky's on the ticket cause he's paid his dues. Big Daddy's on Saturday night. Sam Cooke sings another Saturday night now. The twist in the night away. Daddy's big daddy's on Saturday night, a big daddy's on Saturday night, a big daddy's on Saturday night, a big daddy's on Saturday night. Gonna shine them souls upright.